0: Welcome to our live stream audience that listen in. Uh, I just thank the Lord for each person that would take time to study the Bible with us. Uh, We actually have people who, from the time before, just before COVID, so when when COVID started, we all obviously, we stopped services uh, for a short time. And we've got folks who are part of Vero Bible Fellowship who have not been back to church since yet but they watch faithfully the live stream. And so uh, I know that we have folks who who do that, and we also have people that would normally be here. Maybe tonight they'll watch live stream. I always use it when I travel. I was able to watch Pastor Brenton deliver that message a few weeks ago from Chicago on a Sunday morning. What a blessing that was. and great word. He'll be preaching. I'm preaching this coming Sunday, and then Brenton will preach the following Sunday. Uh, This weekend, we're going to do the series, start the series, or finish the series out of uh, the book of Jude, the epistle of Jude, and I'm very excited about this message, and I hope that you'll be in church with us. As we launch tonight, let's begin with prayer. Uh, Father, we lift up the requests, the needs of this church. There are many, and many who are hurting uh, physically, emotionally, some who are struggling Uh, psychologically uh, with all that's happening. I pray, Lord, that we would catch a fresh view of who you are and that you are right now seated on the throne. Father, you're not not drifting, you're not wavering, uh, you're not changing your mind, uh, you're not (laughs) throwing your arms up like you don't know what to do. Uh, We thank you that you're a God who is Fully in control of what's happening on this earth even when we cannot make any sense out of it and you called us to live peaceable lives to be faithful to the truth and faithful to the Word of God to proclaim that truth to people knowing that uh, if we proclaim it faithfully we probably will face persecution and I pray that you would you would protect each person who shares their faith with others but Lord we look at our brothers and sisters uh, who are over in Afghanistan, we, we, we pray that you would bring the remaining amount of money that's needed to fly the airplanes over in order to, uh, to take the Christians out of Afghanistan that are there that are in harm's way. Many are wanting to come out. Uh, some are wanting to stay. That's, that's where you called them, and it's a great mission field to them, and they're willing to die for the sake of Christ. Uh, we think about our brothers and sisters in Haiti and the same thing that you'd protect the church you'd give the church favor in haiti after the earthquake with those in government uh, positions with city officials and village uh, officials and that they would have great favor and they would be able to help bring about transformation in haiti but we lift the people of both lands of afghanistan and of haiti right now we lift them to you lord the people who are suffering the most this particular earthquake, the epicenter, was in the mountain region. And and these little villages uh, were hit so hard, and even down to the cities along the coast. But Lord then, on top of that, the hurricane comes in, Hurricane Fred, and just dumps a ton of water on them. And they had no chance to recover from even the earthquake when, when they were sw- just swimming in water and we just pray that you would you would uh, show mercy to them show mercy to the people of haiti and may the gospel go forth lord we pray for the ministries just as we pray for those who are taking the initiative to send planes over to bring people out of afghanistan the christians we pray for the same uh, efforts uh, in haiti for the missionary flights international and other groups that are taking supplies and trans. Uh, porting people to and from to do ministry or to come back here for special surgeries. We just pray that God, uh, your hand would be in all of that. And we give you glory that you're, you're a God that's in control of everything that's happening. And so tonight as we study the word, we are reminded that the grass will wither and fade, but the word of God stands forever. And tonight it's an eternal word. It's a, a, an uncompromising word. It is an immutable word that we are studying, and so we have great confidence in the truth that it holds, and we see that you are the one who carries it out, and you'll carry it out in our lives personally, we're thankful for that, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're in chapter 7 this evening. I'm excited for chapter 7. And we'll cover chapter 7 and chapter 8, and then next Thursday, uh, Scott Walker, uh, the chairman of our Elder Board, Scott's going to uh, bring the message on chapter 9. And who knows, it's a shorter chapter, he might go into chapter 10, I don't know, that's up to him, go as far as the Lord leads him. But uh, we're making progress through 2 Samuel, we've completed 1 Samuel, and tonight let's pick up at verse 1 and chapter 7. It says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Notice it says that the Lord gave David rest from the enemies. It was not the king himself, it was the Lord. And the king said to Nathan the the, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, uh, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Uh, the first thing we'll say there is that David is expressing his desire uh, to the prophet of God, Nathan, to build a house for God. So he comes to Nathan as the prophet and, and, and believing that Nathan would be able to speak uh, or respond for the Lord, that God would speak to Nathan and he'd be able to tell him whether or not he should do it. And, and, and Nathan's response was do it. Do all that you set your heart to do. And probably in in Nathan's behalf, he's been seeing God working in David's behalf. I mean, the first verse tells you that God gave him rest from all of his surrounding enemies. So God's been working with David. So Nathan just goes ahead and assumes that God would be okay with whatever David set his heart to do for the Lord. And by the way, he's doing something for the Lord. It's not like he's going out to raise up, you know, uh, an adult bookstore in town, okay? He, he's going to do something for the Lord himself. And, and so Nathan said, go for it. He's expressing that desire. When it speaks here of a house, building a house for God, from the time that the children of Israel were given the tabernacle as God spoke to Moses, and, and the Ark of the Covenant was, kept, was built and kept in the tabernacle, That was the house that God lived in. Now, obviously, no house can contain God. This earth cannot contain God. The universe cannot contain God. No galaxy, and there's billions of them, can contain God. But God allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be the place, the the focus, of His presence God literally would present himself to God's, to his people through Moses from the Ark of the Covenant. And we talked about it last time that the, all the tents of the Israelites in the wilderness would face the, t- the tabernacle and then uh, Moses would enter the tabernacle and uh, God would come down in a cloud and meet him there. And so this is really a powerful thing. Um, so David's saying, I want to build God a house. He's been living in a tent, a tabernacle, and I want him to have a house. Nathan, is that okay? Will God be okay with that? Nathan said, do everything that your heart desires to do for the Lord. He's with you. Um, I believe we'll see here in just a moment. And I think before we even get there, it's necessary for us to just stop and think about how many times. We've desired to do something for the Lord, and our heart was right in it. We, we, it wasn't for us. We were not wanting to do it for us. This is something I think the Lord would want. But we, we didn't wait on the Lord. We just went ahead and acted on the thing that we thought the Lord would, would love and would be good for the church and good for the people. Uh, and oftentimes we get ourselves in trouble in the church because of that. Many churches have programs and ministries that they've raised up that they never brought before the Lord or the Lord never launched. The Lord was not in it. And so it'd be great if we lived in the day when we had prophets who actually spoke for the Lord. We could ask the direct question and get a direct answer. That would be pretty awesome. I got a feeling if that were the case, a a lot of ministries, a lot of programs, and probably some buildings would shut down. God would say, I'm not in that. That was your job. That was your, uh, your ministry, not mine. And uh, we're just prone to that. But we do it as parents. We do it as grandparents. We think that we're representing God, doing things for our grandchildren or whatever. But we don't pray first. We don't spend time letting God give us a sense of peace over what we're doing. And it's real important that we try to stay in tune or in rhythm with the Lord himself. So verse 4 says, But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet. And here's what God said, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Did I ever say that to the judges? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have Cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. So who's the first offspring you think of after David? Solomon, right? Solomon. He says, I'm going to raise up a house for Solomon who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And now he says something else. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Question, did God establish for Solomon a kingdom forever? No, he did not. What's happening here in this word that that God is giving to Nathan the prophet, he's going back and forth between the near future of David's heritage and offspring, and the far-off future, Jesus Christ, Messiah. This is the passage, when we get to verse 12 here, this is where the Davidic covenant is established. There's many covenants in the Scripture. There's a covenant that God made with Noah. I'll never again, you know... Uh, flood the earth. There's the Abrahamic covenant. There's the Mosaic covenant. There's various covenants that God made with Israel through their leaders. This is the Davidic, D-A-V-I-D-I-C. The Davidic covenant. And, And this is a wonderful covenant. God has just, here's, now get the picture. David is wanting to build God a house to live in and so he doesn't have to live in a tent a tabernacle And and now he's thinking that's what I'm gonna do But now that night God spoke to Nathan the prophet and said who why did you speak to him and tell him to do that? I didn't say do that. Have I ever asked for a house? But tell David I'm gonna build him a house And I'm gonna build it through his offspring those near in the future and those far off in the future, but they'll come through him. Now, if you know the story of David of Matthew chapter 1, and you get to where we learn about Jesus' heritage and his, his genealogy, we know that David, by law, is the son of David through Joseph. Not because he was fathered biologically from Joseph, but by law, he was Joseph's son. And so he is part of the son of David. But by blood, he's the son of David through Mary. Okay? So that's very interesting. But what's what's more important here in the text is to understand, this is where the Davidic covenant is established in verse 12 and 13. He shall build a... When he says, when, you, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. He's not just speaking of Solomon, he's speaking Solomon and every other offspring all the way to Jesus Christ Messiah. That's pretty cool. He's revealing this to David. David doesn't know it yet. He's giving this word to Nathan. Nathan's going to go back and share it with David. Now, in Acts chapter 2, you might want to turn there if you'd like, at least write it down. Acts chapter 2, verse 30, Peter is giving commentary. On this particular passage of Scripture where the Lord speaks to David through Nathan and here's what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 verse 30 this was the first sermon ever preached in the church the church had been established uh, uh, the it really was born when the Holy Spirit showed up on the day of Pentecost but there were the followers of Christ who were meeting prior to that for ten days and so, here, here now, the Holy Spirit shows up, Peter stands up in front of this great crowd of people, and he preaches this sermon. And in the sermon, he says this, Acts 2.30, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. So, when Nathan goes back to David and tells him what God said, David knows That he is speaking of messiah god is going to bring messiah through the bloodline through the heritage the genealogy the offspring of david what a glorious promise this is church a glorious promise so there had to be disappointment when nathan probably first shared well god spoke to me last night david and i know i told you go ahead and do whatever your heart desires for the lord but I got to tell you the lord said uh, he does not want you to build him a house and david his heart probably sank wait a minute i I, i'm the king and i just want to do this for the lord Why, why why not and then nathan shares the rest of the story but god is going to build you a house and through your offspring will come the messiah and can you imagine how that just blew david away Well, guess what? It's recorded right here. And the Lord said, verse 14, I will build be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, this is still part of the Divinic Covenant, where God is speaking of now, not Solomon. He's speaking of Jesus. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, okay? Now, this goes back and forth between the offspring of David, and the Messiah. Because all of his future, God's speaking of the future coming through him. So he's not speaking of Jesus committing iniquity. So now he's talking about Solomon. He's talking about the the kings that came through that, that line. And I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you." And your house, you see he's talking about everybody who serves in in kingship, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So he goes to David and he speaks these things. So again, God reminded David of his past. You were nothing but a shepherd boy. And I took you from following after sheep, and I made you the king. I made you ruler over my people. Look what I've done for you, David. Look how I've blessed you. And that that alone had to just bless David's heart. When was the last time you sat down and just pondered the thought of what God has done for you? Now, when I say that, some of you are thinking immediately of things... Of stuff that God has given you and that's not at all what I'm referring to I'm referring to your spiritual blessings that come through salvation in Jesus Christ all that God has promised you when you arrive in heaven all that God makes available to you even while you're still living on this earth allowing the Holy Spirit to live inside of you as a promise, a guarantee that you will be in heaven one day. You think about the, in, in Ephesians that we've been blessed with spiritual blessings. We've been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. I mean, the scripture goes on and on and on, declaring to us through our salvation what we now have in Christ Jesus. David is taking all this in, what God just said. We should take in who we are in Jesus Christ. And yet, verse 19, this was a small thing in your... This is now David speaking. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. So David sees, he's not just talking about my, my next son who will, uh, you'll build a house for. You're talking about all of the kings after him, all the way to Messiah. So in other words, Lord, this is not a small thing. This is tremendous. But that isn't all. You're telling me about my house that, I'll, that will stand for a great while to come. You're telling me, God, you are revealing to me through Nathan my future after I'm gone. You're letting me know my future. And you say, wouldn't that be awesome? if God let you know what was going to happen in your life next week and the next week and the next week until the day you die, wouldn't that be awesome that God would reveal the good things coming? What would you do? You'd gear up for them. And then if he allowed you to see the stuff that's not so good, you'd try to keep that from happening. you know. But you would gear up for the good stuff. Well, guess what? God has given you a picture of your future in heaven. He talks a lot about heaven and he He lays it out i really enjoyed at don aldrich's uh, uh, memorial service that's what i preached on was heaven and i got excited preaching it when i thought about all that we have in christ and all that we'll receive when we go to heaven it's just a wonderful thought and so each of us should look at what god has done for us in in psalm chapter 40 in psalm 40 verse 2 listen what david says He drew me up from the pit of destruction. There are people who believe that there is good in man. That apart from God, before he comes to saving knowledge of Christ, there's good in man. And out of that goodness, man is able to find God and come to God. That is, does not, you will not find that in the Scripture. What the Bible teaches is that man is destined to do evil. Adam and Eve, listen, you hear people say, I, I made this quote on Facebook. It was uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you've never read Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think he, he, did, a, he did a series of sermons on on Romans, and I think he did like 50 sermons. I mean, just took it apart. Uh, But Martin Lloyd-Jones made it clear that it's not us. We we don't do anything. People will say, well, the reason that person's bad is because uh, the environment they were raised in. Had they had the right environment, they would turn out good. And so, Martin Lloyd-Jones comes out and says, Interesting. So, what was the environment like for Adam and Eve? It was perfect. And yet they sinned. That is in the heart of man. And so, apart from God's work of righteousness, no man would come to the Lord. No man is good enough. No man is And David said, he drew me up from the pit of destruction. He's not just talking about being in a tough place, he's saying I was lost in myself, out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. that, that's a, that is a imagery of someone who has been changed by God. Remember that in the Old Testament, obviously, they were not saved through Christ. Christ hadn't died yet. But the Bible does say that God credited to them the righteousness of Christ, right? Even before Christ died, they were credited the righteousness of Christ. David speaking. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Look at this. From the pit of destruction, from the miry bog, all of a sudden now, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust. Man, he's, he goes from despondency and despair and depression into joy unspeakable and full of glory. He's so excited for what God has done for him. He doesn't take any credit for that in Psalm 40. He's saying, God redeemed me from my sin. He's made me his son. God did that in 1 John chapter 3. In verse 2, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, will, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Not in the sense that you're going to be God, but that you're going to know the things that Christ knows. He's going to reveal all things to you. Because we shall see Him as He is. Right now, you know we're made in the image of God. One of the things, that doesn't seem to get, uh, it's not communicated by the church enough. When you see people who are caught up in sexual sin, when you see people caught up in sexual identity issues, you know, identity dysphoria and all this kind of stuff, uh, people say, well, no, I was made in the image of God too. Wait a second, you've got to understand, that's not the image of God somebody to lovingly say but that's not the image of god that you would be in a sexual uh, deviancy or a sexual immorality or or try to change what god has created for us you're 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 you are made in the image of god but you're not walking in the image of god we don't see the image of god in you when you do that and you know when you come when you come to it from that angle with someone They're not ready to hear that. But it will make them think. It will make them think. And I I think that this is what he's saying here in 1 John. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What a blessing that's going to be. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to see Jesus? And that he's the glorified Christ. I love in Revelation uh, around chapter 4 or 5 where you know there's nobody can nobody's worthy to open the scroll which has the title deed to the earth <laughs> and no one's worthy to open it and there's and John just breaks out weeping as he sees this vision and the elder stops him and says hang on hang on you you're, you're going to see somebody's worthy well, none of us are worthy but there's somebody worthy and who walked up to the scroll it was a lamb Listen now. John said, I saw a lamb as though it were slain. A wounded, bloodied lamb came forward and opened the scroll. The only one worthy to open the scroll was the one who was able to pardon sinners. I I just, and you're going to see him. I know there's a lot going on around us, and we can get so caught up in this world and and the worries of this world and the pains and the sorrows. And we should care. We should engage. Absolutely. But don't lose sight of who you are. Don't lose sight of what God has already revealed to you about your future. So you can go into... We've got brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Afghanistan. And while there are many Christians who want to get out of there because they know what's coming, there are other Christians who say, I'm staying. This is my calling. When I signed up to be a Christian, I was a martus in the Greek. Martyr. Willing to suffer a martyr's death. Why? Why would? How could they possibly take that Role, because they know what's coming paul knew to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord to live is christ to die is (laughs) so in other words god has already done this for us but then god gives us this this incredible promise of, of the future of the kingdom of God, where we, you and I will dwell with Him in righteousness, in joy, and peace. In the everlasting kingdom of God. Everlasting kingdom. Never again. You'll never again get up in the morning, go to the mirror, and see anything sagging on your body. Praise God! Hallelujah! Nobody knows for sure, but wouldn't it be something if God let us have the physique and the look that we had at our very best in life. So, you know, I don't know what age that is for all of us, maybe a little different, but somewhere in that range. Wouldn't that be something? You get up and look in the mirror, you're like, woo! Cause see, you know what you became on earth at the end, right? And you're like, I can't believe, but yet it's a glorified body. It's not the same body. It's a glorified body. People can recognize you in that body and they can recognize your personality They can recognize your your uniqueness, the characteristics, the sensibilities. People know each other in heaven. So that's there, but it's a glorified... You can literally travel in heaven in places that we can't even travel on. I mean, Jesus on earth with His glorified body after His resurrection, He walked through a wall. Yet He also ate fish with His disciples. I am so thrilled to hear that, that a glorified body can enjoy fish. You don't know what that means to me. I want to ask the Lord if he'd make some good old, you know, uh, clam chowder or some fish chowder from Portugal or somewhere that they know what they're doing, you know. I mean, that's awesome to me. If any of you know how to make good fish chowder, you can bring it to my house and I will not complain. So, this is what we have in front of us. The glorious things of God that are spoken about my future, your future. It's not a small thing that God has already done for us in saving us, in giving us the Holy Spirit, in empowering us, gifting us on this earth to carry out His will, to be His image bearers on the earth. And that's the problem with people who are in sin. They no longer bear the image of God. They are made in His image. They're not bearing it. And there are Christians. We need to be careful because... We can, we can send the wrong message. Uh, Gordon was telling me, the, a, a pastor who, you know, got caught up in moral failure. Well, guess what? He's not bearing the image of Christ when he did that. And that brings shame to the name of Christ. As people look at that, and that just gives them the excuse, well, that's why I don't go to church. Well, there, that's not going to hold up in, in God's court, you know, at the end. It's, it's not going to work. They can make that excuse, but But we want to try to be image bearers for Christ. When you think of what God took us from and what He's made us into, which is children of God in fellowship with the Creator. But then He just doesn't stop there. He goes on and He speaks about our eternal blessedness in His kingdom as you're living with Him forever and ever and ever. This is the divine grace of God. David, in this Davidic covenant, God has just revealed to David this divine covenant relationship. David's blown away by it. He can't believe. We, we, we know so little right now. But as we go to heaven, we're going to be surprised by the things God has in store for us. I just think it's so wonderful. And verse 20, and what more can David say to you? So David's actually speaking here, and he's saying, what more can I say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. He's like speechless. Now, wait a minute. This is David who wrote the Psalms. I mean, if anybody can articulate beautifully, you know, it's an, he, when he writes, it's art. It's beautiful. And now God has just revealed to him his short-term and long-term future, that the Messiah is coming through his bloodline. He, he can't speak. This man who is a great communicator and who can write well, he, he's blown away by it. He just can't. Wrap his brain around it. Uh, there, and really, when you think about it, and you're like, there, there are no words to express the grace of God for you. When was the last time you personalized God's grace? We we do a lot of talking about grace, you know, in theology and doctrine. We read scriptures about grace, but do you really stop long enough to consider what grace? means to you god's grace was for you paul said in romans eight thirty one, what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things That's grace for you. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So who's going to charge you? Who's going to come against you? Who's going to bring a charge against you? Not God. God's doing the opposite. He's justifying you. He's for you. And if God is for you, what does it matter who's against you? Amen? That's everything in this life right now, church. This is the stuff that we ought to be focused on. The grace of God to you. And when you think about the grace of God for you, and you are overwhelmed by what God has done for you, loving you so much, doesn't it compel you? Doesn't it something inside rise up to want to share that grace, that love with others? That they might experience what we have come to experience? One of the things that I think we have to be careful of, you know, we haven't launched uh, life groups or small groups in our church. We have men's ministry, women's ministry, and we, have some, we do have some small groups, people who on their own are meeting. Uh, there's one group that meets every week. Uh, uh, there, there's the young adult group that meets every week. So there, there are groups going on. But here's the danger sometimes, Of by the way. Groups are worth it, okay? So when I say danger, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it because of this. I'm just saying this is what you have to guard against when you have small groups of people who gather. Maybe there's some of you who come together for accountability or for, you know, just encouraging one another. That's wonderful. But here's the danger of Christians who gather regularly for a long period of time. You start to look inward in your little group. We four... And no more (laughs) now no one would say that no one in that group would think that you just it just happens you stop sharing your faith you stop inviting others when we had small group ministry down in Palm Beach Gardens in the church that we pastored we actually that was the subtitle of our church it was Church in the Gardens we said we're, we're large enough to celebrate small enough to care and the large enough to celebrate spoke of a celebration gathering where 400 people would come into a room and just just celebrate God. And then through the week, we had small groups all over the church. And, uh, and they met in homes all over the, the city. And, and that was a blessing. But we always said, always have an empty chair. Always. That's the reminder to the people in the room. It's not just about us. We had one group that met in Jupiter... And uh, that particular small group planted, I don't even know, I can't remember how many. I mean, I'm talking six, seven small groups out of that group. One of the small groups they planted was a couple who came into the, they'd never been in a small group. They came into that group. They were ministered to for two and a half years, really received strong ministry. And then they moved up to Tennessee. Their job, uh, his job took him to Tennessee. Guess what they did in Tennessee? They started a group. And then they started planting groups. See, it's wonderful to think about what God's done for us. But as we think about what God's done for us, if we really are thinking about that, uh, there's something in us that gets excited about sharing it with others. We can't just contain it and hold on to it. You're going to see that same spirit in David here in just a moment. That David's not just thinking about himself. He's not just thinking about the joy of building a building for God. And when God said no, now David's in the dumps, you're going to see a different David. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So, But, but going back to this, Psalm 32.1. Write it down, Psalm 32.1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. A man is blessed who knows the Lord through salvation because God does not hold on to his sins. It's right there in the passage. Satan is constantly charging us. You're a failure. You're full of weakness. You're sinning all the time. But God isn't charging you with any of those sins that you've committed. He's not charging you with any of the failures in your life. Oh, how I wish Christians could grasp this. So many Christians, they live this life of works righteousness, thinking somehow the only way that God can be pleased with them is if they get it right live right, do right. And they don't know how to act if they don't get the opportunity to do right. What would happen if I miss church? Oh, God forbid. <gasps> I need oxygen to even think that way. They just it, listen, that's not your God. That is not your God. Your God is not holding your sins against you. That is Satan who's doing that. He's calling you into law, into legalism, where you do things to please and honor God. You don't need to do anything to please and honor God. Jesus did. He's the only one who could please and honor God. Amen? We walk in the grace of God. Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who condemns? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, even in death, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing how we can read that passage a thousand times, grow up with it, and not understand it? Somehow attach it to, we still think that we got to please God in order for God to love me. Oh my goodness, that's death. What, What did Paul say? The Spirit gives life and the law kills. So who is it that is condemning you? Who is it? Jesus isn't condemning you. Jesus said in John 3, 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And then He said this in verse 18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. If you believe in Jesus as Savior, you're not condemned. the, The pressure's off. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Romans 8.34, going back to this passage we were looking at earlier, who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding. He's not condemning you. He's, he's pleading before God, your name, that when you sin... You you commit an act of sin and you're thinking, oh my goodness, well, what, what? Oh, the Lord, he's, you know, bad things are going to happen now in my life. The Lord's going to bring bad things to me. And what's what's really happening in heaven? You just sin. The Lord is up there and he says, Father, Father, what he just did, put that on my account. He he covered all your sins. As you stumble, he says, Father, put that sin in that he just committed to my account. God is for us, church. God was for David. He blew David away. David was speechless, couldn't even get the words out. And now we need to look at that and say, I don't deserve this. And you're right. I'm unworthy. You're right. But you're the one that God shows his affection and love to in spite of the fact that you're not worthy that's how much god loves you so david's like lord you're just too much you're just blowing me away here it'd be like going to the ocean you know and you're out there and surfing and uh the the waves come in sets of seven, you know seven waves and then there's a break and then there's more waves and you're out there waiting for the last wave this big wave that's coming in And you're thinking, man, this is going to be fun. And it is. It's a great wave. And you ride it and you're swimming back out for the next set. And you're thinking, man, there's no way that can top that. And all of a sudden, the Lord just comes in with a bigger wave. You're like, whoa! And you ride that wave barely hanging on, man. That wave was really powerful. And you finally paddle back out again, thinking, man, I just had two of the best rides. I won't have any more like that. And the next one is like huge, like a 40-foot wave. And you're like, oh, Lord, no, I can't handle this too much. That's God's love breaking down over you, loving you. He, he desires to overwhelm you with his love. What's, what's the old hymn? Lost in his love. Every day we ought to get up and get lost in the love of God. It would change how we view... I, I, I need that. And I need to be more consistent with that. Because in the mornings when I get up and have my time with God, and I, and I get to that place where I just am so appreciative for the things He's done, I am a different guy than when I don't. How about you? Amen? Get lost in God's love. Get lost in it. Psalm 42, verse 1. Here's David, this guy who's, who has the ability to just express emotion and feeling so elegantly, and so beautifully, he says, "As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I love that. I, lo- I love David, man. I just what a, what a I can I can get lost in those in those Psalms. It's just beautiful." But God brings him into this new, fresh awareness of how much God loves him and what God's going to do for him in the future. And David is just blown away. He can't even write a psalm. There's no words to express what he feels. Verse 21, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. You have revealed to me just how much, Lord, you love me, and I'm blown away by it. What he's saying is, hey, Lord, I I know none of this is from me. (laughs) I can't take any credit for any of it. It's not because I'm somebody great or I'm so good. It's for your word, your namesake that you're doing this. It's for your glory that you're doing this. You're just letting me be a representative and and you're allowing me to, to, to serve a place in your kingdom. That's how we ought to see ourselves every day. Thankful that God would allow me to serve in his kingdom. Listen, Christian, God's grace is never a reward for your goodness or righteousness. God's grace always proceeds from His heart, and for His own words' sake, He blesses you. He doesn't bless you because you're good. He blesses you because you need it. And He wants to be great in your life, and He wants you to be an image bearer for Him. It's one of the hardest things to do, though, isn't it? It's really hard. Uh, you say, What's hard? Uh, to receive or accept grace gracefully. What happens, let me just make the point here. What happens when God just lavishes you with blessing after blessing and you're going through this season, whatever it is, and man, it just seems like it doesn't stop, and you're like, Oh my goodness, this is incredible. But then worry kicks up. When is this going to end? I know that somehow. You see, we get this wrong image of God. Somehow, God's going to balance the book here before long. Right now, you know, it's been pretty good, but the shoe's going to drop pretty soon. Okay? That is not God. That is Satan lying to you. But here we are. While we're receiving these good things, and it's just lavished on us, we're almost like, Lord, um, I I, I don't deserve that. Lord, somebody else needs that. I don't need... not you're not receiving gracefully god's grace that's what grace is you don't deserve it god just gives it to you but when you receive it receive it gracefully receive grace gracefully amen do it when someone comes to you and they uh, are appreciating the gift that god has given you and or they appreciate the heart that the holy spirit been able to cultivate in you and you've just done something beautiful and wonderful as a servant of christ you didn't do it to be heard or seen you didn't do it for any kind of kudos but but somehow god used you and they see it and they're not just bragging on you like you did it they know the lord did it through you but they come to you and say you are such a blessing do you realize that when you allow the lord to use you like that it is such a blessing to people and you're like, oh, oh, no, no, it's nothing, it's nothing. You're actually turning away a grace gift. God's saying, them coming to you is a grace gift. Receive it gracefully. It's okay to look them in the eye and say, you know, you know I, I didn't do that to be seen, but thank you for what you said. That's encouraging to me. I did it for the Lord, but thank you thank you. We need to thank one another. We need to encourage one another. Amen? You know what courage is? I've said it a hundred times. It's putting courage in someone. That's encouragement. Encouragement is putting courage in someone. That's a good thing. So, verse 22, let's keep moving here. We spent a lot of time there, but I, I don't know, church, there are times where you get into a text and this one point just stays with you and you can sense the Lord saying, really impress this one. People need it. And I believe that tonight. Verse 22, therefore you are, you are great. So how does David respond? What's the proper way to uh, show, grace, uh, show grace to somebody who's given you grace? Okay, here it is How many times did David refer to what he's done? None. Who got all the glory? God. That's how you show graciousness to someone. Well, that's why I said, you know, when they say, man, I just really appreciate what God's put in you, the gifting of God, it's such a blessing. And you say, well, it was the Lord. But thank you, thank you, because that's my desire is to be used of God. You give God all the, give it right back to God. Okay? Verse 24, and you establish yourself, your people, Israel, to be your people forever. You, O Lord, became their God, and now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. Verse 26, look at this, and your name will be magnified forever. So here's David calling out all the things God's done in the past. So showing, being gracious. When God shows, lavishes grace on you, being gracious back is to recall what the Lord has done for you and what He's done for His people. You just want to praise Him. What He's doing is worshiping God here. That's what it is. Verse 27 or or the latter part of verse 26, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel have made this revelation to your servant saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and uh, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore may, look at this, now may it please you to bless the house of your servant david didn't turn back to god when god said i am to build a house for you and the messiah's coming through he go i'm not worthy of that oh lord no 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 lord i'm not no look what he did he he just spent the whole time praising god acknowledging all that god is and what he's done and then he says now lord may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you lord If you're wanting to bless me that way, I will receive it, and I will give thanks for it. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. He's just repeating what God said. This is not David speaking positive words over himself to try to get good things to happen to him. This is David who simply is receiving what God said. He's listening, he's receiving, and now he's he's remembering it. He's returning it to God. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you. In other words, all right, God, you've said it. You're going to do it. Have at it. Do what you got to do with me. Praise God. Thank you. Amen. So David's response to that glorious promise of God, the establishing of Messiah through his offspring is received and praise is given back to God. Now, in chapter 8, we see the record of David's victories in battle against the enemy of Israel. We learn how God was establishing David in his kingdom and was subduing his enemies before before him. So it tells about David's moves, his many directions that he went, and the things that he did as God used him mightily to expand the kingdom of Israel. And I'm not going to go into all of it here uh, only because... uh, it's uh, It really is. He's just calling out the different uh, battles and things that happened in the battles. So that's really not the focus tonight. But just to say this, if you get down to verse 11, these also King David dedicated to the Lord together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued. So what happened is all of a sudden David knows that God is not going to to allow him to build the, the, the place for God to live in, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the temple. So what does David do? He knows that his offspring will build it. He knows that his son will build it. So what does David do? Instead of getting despondent, David says, Lord, what can I do? And usually God uses whatever you have in your possession. He's not looking for you to become something that you're not. Just be who you are. What did David have? He was the king, so he had favor. He had influence. He was wealthy. He had a... The the treasury of the king was quite uh, lucrative, but he also knew people who had uh, money. And so David becomes, for the rest of his life, he becomes a kingdom builder. And he says... If God's going to let my son build the the house that he'll live in, I want to do everything I can to raise the money for it. Now get this, and David never saw it. He never got to see the temple, but he raised the funds for the temple. But let me tell you what else God let him do. God let him build the plans for the temple so that when Solomon became king, Solomon didn't have to do anything The money was already in place, the gold, the silver, everything was in place, and the plans had already been laid. All Solomon had to do was execute it. That is a man of God. That is a man who is appreciative of the gracious gifts of God and a man who simply desires to be used of God. He doesn't need to see the outcome. In other words, I'm not going to give to this project because i'm going to it's going to i'm going to benefit from it that's selfish i'm giving to the project because it makes god's name great and whether i get to see it and experience it or not i want god's name to be great so i'm going to do everything i can on this side to help prepare for god's house to be built i just think that's incredible not throwing a tantrum He's not saying, that's not fair. I'm the one that came up with the idea of building you a house. No, Lord, let me just raise some money for you. Let me go ahead and prepare this thing for the next guy. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. In verse 12, from Edom, Moab, and, the Amen. and so he goes into more of the battles and the victories of David. He covers that. And at the end, he's telling you who these great men were that served with him in the kingdom and uh, how God used them. But you have to go back, if you will, please, to verse 1 and chapter 7, because if you read chapter 8, you could easily think, man, these were great guys, these men, wow, what they did, you know, this is a great army. Verse 1, chapter 7, When the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, God is the one who gave the victories to David and his men. I pray we never as a church forget that. Whatever God chooses to do with Viral Bible Fellowship, whatever property that we end up with, if we purchase a piece of property or if we just purchase a building somewhere that we never forget, it is the Lord. Whatever we achieve, it is the Lord who does it. People who come and get say, last Sunday we had a young man give his heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe there were others. I don't know. Um, there, we had a lot of people come forward. That's all the glory, to the glory of God. The Lord did the work in that salvation. Amen? We're just going along with God for the ride. What a great front row seat to an incredible journey with God. Amen? It's been that way at our church from day one, and I'm just so thankful to just have a seat with you folks and with the elders and leaders. What a blessing it is. So, good stuff. Well, let's close our time in prayer. Well, Any questions or thoughts about the teaching tonight, some of the passages, anything at all that you wanna ask before we close it out tonight? Okay, well, let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you for your, your love. Tonight we talked a lot about your love, your grace, and it is undeserving, but that's why you gave it to us, because you knew we couldn't deserve it. And, and so, Lord, we're to receive it, we're, we're to be gra- gracious in receiving your grace and and we're to give thanks for it and we're to walk in it and use it for your glory. So I pray Lord tonight that each person here would leave with a with a thinking forward, looking forward, knowing that God you've given not only your holy spirit to us now, but we have a great future in heaven and we're going to receive all the spiritual blessings that the bible speaks of. And We just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.